are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. It's good to be in worship, amen? It's good to be here. I love what Pastor Kate just shared because I think it's so important for us as a community and as a church to recognize and celebrate the defining moments when God moves. And, and it has been a reality for us this summer that God has been on the move. We have had seen so many students give their life to the Lord and recommit their life to the Lord. And even right now as we speak, we have about 50 or 60 kids at camp, and we have about 50 or 60 more going to head out in just a day or two, and God is going to move in their life, and they're going to find themselves in the presence of the Lord. And here's what I want from you guys Here's what I want for us. I don't want us to be people that get so old and get to the place where we have done church for such a long time that you and I have forgotten our defining moment. You know that moment, the moment in which you can go back and remember a situation or a place that you were where you found yourself in the presence of God and you found yourself in a moment and you said, Father, I want to give my life to you. And I ask you to enter my heart. This is a defining moment, and it's happening this summer in the life of our kids and the future of the church and the kingdom of God, and we celebrate that together. Amen? It is good for that to happen. We're going to celebrate something else in this next moment because it's a pretty significant milestone marker for a family in our church. Today, a hundred years ago, Bethel, oh, you can put it up there. Bethel Ruth Hamilton was born on July 18th, 1921, and she's celebrating her 100th birthday today. Pretty incredible, right? Four generations of people in this very church. She has committed herself to the kingdom of God, and it is fun to get to celebrate with her and with her family today. Defining moments. Been a really great series for us. I love this series because it's super practical. I love this series because it connects with each and every one of us no matter where we're at because the reality is we have defining moments in our life. It's just the, the way in which life goes. You have these moments in which define you that you never intended to define you, but when you look back, you know it did. You have these moments in which life just seems to happen and it's not what you wanted or it's not what you expected, but life happens and, it's, and it certainly was a defining moment. You have these times in your life where choices and decisions that you make define you. And it's practical for each and every one of us because we can find these moments in our life. This morning I want to read out of a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 19. And it's a passage in which it is certainly a defining moment for the rich young ruler. If you've grown up in church any amount of time, this is a passage of Scripture you might be familiar with. If you're kind of new to this scene, I want you to lean in because you're going to like this story. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 16, and I'm going to read this passage to us today. Here's what I want to do. I want to set the stage, because I don't want you to just listen to the words that I'm about to read, but I actually want you to put yourself in the shoes of the rich young ruler. I want you to take on the first person perspective of the rich young ruler. Here is a scene where we have a story where a guy in the flesh is having a conversation with Jesus. Uh, this is not uh, something that was made up. This was an actual real life conversation in which a human being is getting the opportunity to stand before the son of God and have a conversation with him. And we have the same opportunity this morning through the Spirit to stand in the shoes of the rich young ruler 
and to potentially put ourselves in a place where we have the exact same conversation with the person of Jesus Christ. So that's the perspective I want you to go. Work hard at putting yourself in the shoes of the rich young ruler. Verse 16 starts and it says this. Just then, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, all of these I have kept, the young man says. What do I still lack? Say that with me. What do I still lack? One more time. Wake up. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all Things are possible. I was a senior in college. I was 22 years old, and Hannah and I had been dating for about four years. She was a senior at uh, Oklahoma State University. Don't hold that against her. And so we had been dating for four years, and we had gotten to that place where it's senior year, and and you're starting to really reflect on what is life going to look like? Like, like, what's the next step? How is God going to move in my life? Where am I going? What direction am I heading? And so I remember entering my senior year, and, and I was a theology and ministry student, and so I was beginning to really think about what the next step was for me as far as a career, as far as a job. What did pastoring actually look like? How do you go get a pastor job? And so I remember about halfway through first semester, one of my professors took me aside after class and he said, hey, Chris, I want to let you know that a couple churches have called us. They're looking for a pastor who is young and who is ready to take a church. And so we sent them your name. I said, well, that's kind of cool. And so I said, where are these churches? I said, well, one's in Colorado and one's in New Mexico, and they're interested in having a conversation with you. So I took the conversation. I began to realize after those conversations, like, man, my goodness, I haven't really thought too much about what's next. I haven't really contemplated the reality that, that I'm, I'm, I'm studying to be a pastor, and, and it's not like there's just a bunch of openings everywhere. And so the reality that I might have to move from a place that I love and a place I call home. So I go to Hannah shortly after those conversations, and, and like I said, we've been dating. I said, hey, Hannah. Um, hey, I just want to talk about future a little bit. You know, I really feel called to minister. I feel called to be a pastor. And, and I just want to let you know that the reality 
that upon graduation, you know, I might be moving, and if this is going to, you know, work out, you would also have to move with me. And she obviously responded the way that I thought she would, which is like, baby, you are the breath I breathe. I will go anywhere you go. No, it it actually shocked me. It, It took me by surprise. She didn't respond like that at all. She just said, okay, I'll think and pray about it. I was like, think and pray about it. Like, what what are you, are you serious? She was like, yeah, I'm I'm dead serious. I'll think and pray about it. I didn't realize the gravity of what I was asking her because of the the reality of my immaturity at 22. Over the next couple days when I realized like, oh my goodness, she actually is thinking and praying. I thought this was a no brainer. She's really taking time to think and pray about if this is a decision she wants to make because we weren't engaged. She wasn't hitched to this wagon. And so over the next few days, I began to ask her, hey, are you still like thinking and praying about it? She's like, I am. And I started to panic a little bit. It wasn't like I just had a long line of ladies who were waiting, to, waiting in line for me up next. It just, that wasn't the reality. And so we get to the end of two weeks, and I'm starting to really contemplate, man, this might not be what she's called to. We have a conversation, and she said, hey, I've really been thinking and praying a lot about our future. And she said, here's what I know. I don't want to move. I don't want to move. It's not my heart's desire to move. Uh, My family is here. I feel called here. It's not my desire to move away from the things that I love. But if that is what God is calling us to, I will go. It's not my heart's desire. It's not the thing that I want to do. It's not necessarily the first choice that I would make. But if it is God's desire, then I'm willing to go. Defining moment for Hannah and I, because it was in that moment that I thought to myself, oh, I'm marrying her. And I better hurry because she might think and pray about it. It's not my heart's desire. It's not the things that I want. It's not the way in which I see it going. But if that's what God is asking of me, then I will go. The cool part of the end of that story is just a couple months after that decision, we had gotten engaged. And I remember sitting down, still fully planning on the reality that that upon graduation, I would be moving somewhere else to go be a pastor And a pastor, Chris Pollock, sat me down and Hannah down and they had this conversation about making a position so that I could be a youth pastor here. I look back on those moments and I always tend to say to God in those moments, it was, it was in this point that I think God was, was trusting us to be faithful, trusting us to decide that we're willing to go all in, that we're willing to move, we're willing to do whatever it takes in order to fulfill this call. And then isn't it such like God? to go and say, thanks for your faithfulness, and now I'm going to pour out my blessing on you. Moving, you don't have to. I'm calling you right here. The story of the rich young ruler is a story of a man who walks up to Jesus after he had been teaching, and he says this to him. He says, teacher, 
And that moment alone, that word in which he calls Jesus teacher, tells us something about the rich young ruler. Here's what it tells us. That he is bought in. It tells us that he is on the journey. He knows Christ. He believes who Christ is. He believes the things in which he's teaching. He's seen him do miracles. And he's saying to him, teacher, I know who you are. I'm bought in. I'm a follower of yours. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? What good thing must I do to get eternal life? What good thing must I do to have full relationship with God? Now, I don't know about you, but I've kind of asked God this question many times in my faith. Hey, God, well, what good thing must I do? Hey, God, how much? What's kind of the bare minimum that I got to do in my relationship with God to do this Jesus thing? What's kind of like the baseline thing that I got to do that I can get eternal life? I think we ask God this question subconsciously as people all the time. We kind of get in a static mode in our relationship with God. We kind of walk through life kind of asking this question, hey, what good thing must I do to keep my faith and to have eternal life with you? What is it? Is it five minutes of making sure I spend in my version Bible app? Is it keeping up with my streaks? What is it? Is it that I got to only eat at Chick-fil-A, right? Can't no other fat, just Chick-fil-A. Just make sure you eat there. They're, they're Jesus lovers there and they make good chicken. 60 seconds of quiet time, post a little more scripture, like what do I come to church, make sure I'm in Sunday school, make sure I'm doing a mission project, like what, what is the bare minimum, what, what re- is required of me as a Jesus follower? And Jesus responds. He says, you, you, you should follow the laws. He says, you, you shouldn't commit adultery. He said, you, you shouldn't steal. I don't know about you. But I'm not out there stealing too many things right now. It's just not, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm not out there stealing. He's like, you don't commit murder. I don't know about you, but the last time, it's been a while since I've committed murder. It's been a minute. Honor your father and mother. Yeah, yeah pretty much. I mean, I'm okay there. Love your neighbor as yourself. You start to think about it. I love my neighbors pretty good. I, there's a little room for improvement, but, but for the most part, I love my neighbors. I think the reality is for those of us who do church, those of us who do the Jesus thing, who are following after God in some active and participatory, wow, participatory way, I think we do good. And I think we will inherit eternal life. But the rich young ruler, he doesn't walk away happy at that moment. He says, but Lord, I do all of those things. I already do all of those things. What more do I still lack? What more am I still missing? I find it ironic and interesting that the rich young ruler is still in this place of recognizing that he is following after Jesus. He believes who he says he is. He's following all of the laws to the best of his ability. And yet he still has this yearning, deep desire for more. 
And if that's you, I'm talking to you today. This reality that I'm doing all of these things, yet there has to be more. And those of us who are willing to ask that question, Father, what do I still lack? And Jesus says this to him. Jesus answered, oh, oh, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be whole, if you want to be made complete, if you want to feel in your life like there is nothing more, you are completely sold out and you are a disciple of mine, if that's the thing that is missing in your life, if that's the step you want to take, we're in a different conversation. We're in a different conversation. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad but he had because he had great wealth. Here's the next point I want to make. If we read this passage of Scripture and we only draw out that it is a passage based upon financial wealth, we significantly miss something. Certainly, financial wealth is a major part of this passage. It is one massive piece of the pie of the rich young ruler's life, but it is only one piece. And it is absolutely true that the rich young ruler had great wealth. His bank account was way bigger than many of the people that he found himself in relationship with. But the financial wealth was only one piece. Because the things in which the great, young, rich ruler had that was of great wealth was also his comfort. Was also the security that wealth brings. It was also this peace. It was also this idea of success. It was this idea that, that I have built something great. It was his pride. It was his reputation. It was all of these different aspects that make up the rich young ruler's life. Financial money was not the only thing. Because what Jesus asked him to do was give away the material possessions. But I believe the reality on the second part, the selling the possessions, may have been the easiest thing in which he was asked to do. The harder thing was to then come follow me. In Matthew chapter 16, three, three uh, chapters before this one, Jesus is talking to a large crowd. And in the large crowd, you have everything. You've got doubters, you've got people who believe, you've got everything in between. And he's talking to this large crowd, and, and Jesus says to the disciples, he said, oh, you want to be my disciple? If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. And you've got to know the context of that passage of Scripture is that the disciples who just a few verses before that had the moment, the very first moment in which they looked at Jesus and Jesus said to them, who do people say that I am? Who do your friends say that I am? Who do the people that you're in relationship, who do they think that I am? And they begin to say, well, some say you're the prophet Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. And Jesus says, who do you say I am? And the disciples look at him and they said, we, we think you're the Messiah. We think you're the son of God. We think you're the one who has come to save the lost and redeem. 
We think you're the one who has come to fulfill the prophecies and the Old Testament law. This is who we say you are. This was a salvation moment for the disciples. So then the disciples, when, he, when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, the disciples knew one thing. They knew that that was literal. You see, as church and Christians today, we read that passage of Scripture. When it says, pick up your cross, we read that metaphorically. We read it metaphorically because the reality that you and I would die for being Christians in this country is slim to none. But the disciples, when Jesus says, deny yourself, Deny yourself of your pride, of your reputation, of the success, of the life that you could build, of the life that you could have. Deny yourself of the pleasures that you want. And pick up your cross. They knew it was literal. Pick up the thing that would eventually crucify them. Pick up the thing that would punish them and cause them great suffering. And pick it up and follow me. We pick up our cross, and it's a bit metaphorical for us. We have to think a little bit deeper and a little bit harder about the life in which we live. We have to think a little more critically about our faith and about the places and spaces where our faith doesn't seem to match up with the call in which Jesus has put on our life. It can't be just about money. Because great wealth is so much more than money. The conversation that Jesus is having with the rich young ruler is a conversation between eternal life and abundant life. It's between eternal life and an abundant life. You see, the conversation of eternal life is, hey, follow all the laws. Be good followers of God. Love your neighbor. Don't steal. Don't do bad things. Live in harmony with those around you. Be faithful to your religion and your practices and the laws that you have. Be a good follower. Listen to the instruction that I'm giving you and then put it into some practice. And I think for most of us, we find in that place, in that category of, hey, I think we're good. I think eternal life with God is in our future. We're on this track of forgiveness and grace, and it is in our future of having eternal life from God. You see, I believe the grace in this passage is that the rich young ruler, he walks away sad because he had an opportunity at abundant life. He doesn't walk away sad that he's not going to inherit eternal life. Faithful, committed followers of God that do good work are going to have eternal life with God. But if you're willing to ask the question, what do I still lack? Is there something more? I believe that that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you and drawing something out and saying, I have something a little bit more for you. There's something a little bit extra that I can give you. There is something that you still lack. And it's, and it's deeper and it's a bit richer and better than eternal life. And that is abundant life. That is you being made whole. That is you feeling complete. That is you feeling fulfilled because your life is in the palm of my hands.
And you have given everything over to me. You are allowing, allowing and fully trusting me that I, that, that I am going to be the leader and Lord of your life. That everywhere you go, I'm going to direct your path. And it is going to be full. And it is going to be abundant. Band, you can start heading back up. The difference between eternal life and abundant life is great. The difference between an eternal life and abundant life is really great. It's a big gap because it's significant and it changes the way you and I live. So the question today is this. What do you still lack? What are the places and the spaces that are keeping you from having this abundant life? Not that you won't have eternal life. That's not the question. But this abundant life, this a little bit extra, this second work of grace in your life, this deeper understanding of God, this bigger and deeper and more rich relationship of being a disciple of Jesus, what do you still lack? Let nothing keep you from being a disciple of God. I believe the church today, we have a little bit of a problem. And if I can be so bold, we have a little bit of a problem. We have a lot of faithful followers of Jesus all around the world who have kind of asked the question subconsciously, hey, Father, what's the bare minimum I got to do to get by? Is going to church enough? Is reading my Bible occasionally enough? Is being in community enough? Is talking about Jesus once or twice a year to a coworker enough? We got a lot of Christians all around the world, right here at home, across the U.S., that have kind of asked this question, hey, what's the bare minimum to get eternal life? But I think the church has a shortage. I think it has a shortage of believers who say there's got to be something more. What more do I still lack? What are the things that are keeping me, that are holding me back from being all in? Do you put priorities in your kids, in your job, in your work, in your pride, in your success, in your reputation, in all of these areas? Do those things come before your relationship with God? Because if so, if so, you will walk away sad. You will spend your life doing a lot of faithful things for Jesus, a lot of faithful things for the church, but you will never taste the full love and grace and abundant life that Jesus is offering you. And so I think as people, we got to find ways to come and bring those things to the Lord. we got to ask the question, and be willing to know the answer. What do I still lack, Father? The courage to ask that question is great. The courage to ask that question is great. The defining moment for the rich young ruler. Did you know that he's the only person in recorded Scripture 
where Jesus personally asked him to be one of his disciples, to come, the invitation to come and follow me personally, that turned him down. That turned him down. The one with great wealth, the one with so much, turned him down. It's a defining moment for you and I when we're willing to ask the question, what do we still lack? But if you want to be made complete, if you want to be made whole, if you want to be perfect, if you want to have a full and abundant life with Christ, you ask the question, Father, what do I still lack? And then be open to the places and the spaces and the things which God begins to reveal to you. And all you do is you just say, Father, reprioritize my life. Those things go before. I lay those at their feet so that you are the Lord and leader of my life. Those things are secondary. My life with you is primary. So, Father, as we worship And as we reflect, and as you give some of us the boldness to ask the question, what we still lack, Lord, will you begin to reveal something? And when you reveal it, will you help us to make a small change? Will you help us to address it? Will you help us to talk to somebody about it? So that this can actually not just be words that we hear that fall on hard soil, but it can actually grow a root in our life so that we can have abundant life with you. Father, grow our desire to know you and to love you and to receive your grace and your spirit. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Over the next few moments, we want to create a space of worship where you can reflect in your seat, where you can pray. Our altars are always open for any reason. If you need a place to pray for peace and rest, if you need a place to pray for a son or a daughter or a family member who you know is in that very space, that they are people who are missing out on abundant life with Christ, I pr- bring their name to the altar. They may be the thing that is holding you back. So this is your time. This is our space. This is a moment for worship before we go to lunch. Let's not miss out on what God wants to do in us. Let's worship and respond. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.